Well, we get to the section of Scripture where James talks about dead faith. And so we're going to take a look at, at this. Is dead faith undeveloped faith? Is it ineffective faith? Is it inconsistent faith? Or is it insincere faith? Or maybe it's something else. So we're going to take a look at what that, that is. Because if we misunderstand what type of faith or what our expectation of dead faith is, we probably won't understand the fix that he is telling us to do. So here in James chapter 2, verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Now, we've told you before in some of the history of this that the um, the thought was that James was so different from Paul's teaching that it took a, a longer period of time for it to be canonized or recognized as Scripture. But eventually they came around to, to see this. And so we'll take a look at how that how that fits in here. But the word here for prophet, he says, what does it profit what what good is faith for you here the word profit means to gain advantage or to profit it's used three times in the new testament two times it's translated profit and one time it's translated advantage so what does it profit well does it profit god if faith has no works to it does it profit god if faith has no works does it profit others and if faith has no works does it even profit me Now, Jesus shows us that real faith is demonstrated in those who do His will. And we see this here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who proclaims with their faith that they, or with their mouth that they have faith. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So is not Jesus technically saying, faith without works will profit you nothing? There will be no gain. In Matthew 25, 41, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsting. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of these of the least, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. So is he not here also saying that faith, though it is proclaimed with the mouth, if it has no actions, it is useless, it has no benefit, it has no profit. In Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Why do you proclaim things with your mouth that you don't back up with your doing? So there's three times that Jesus seems to be saying the exact same thing that James is saying. Now the whole process of salvation is to benefit God, it's to benefit the world, and certainly it's to benefit us. Just declaring when it is in our power to fulfill, just declaring when it is in our power to fulfill is useless. Just because I say something doesn't mean that I have done anything. Again, going back to our our scripture here. Verse 15, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So you see the need, and you make a declaration over them. You say with your mouth, Be filled and be warm. But you don't do anything to actually accomplish it. You don't do anything to help it. He says you've done no good. Now, sometimes you'll see Christians that are out there and they'll see a need and they do make a proclamation over it. And they will say, well, I, I trust that God will, 
I pray that God will. And then they walk away from it. And then if something happens, they'll take credit for it. Or at least they'll take partial credit. Well, yeah, I remember that. We were in there praying with them. And look at that. They got the answer. And they, they kind of jump on the side to get the, get the credit. They didn't get any credit for that. They didn't do nothing for it. But they're out there. And uh, a lot of times it's just to puff themselves up. Because look who I am. I declared some things and they came about. But you weren't actually the one out there doing it. God can't count on you to go out there to do something with what, you, what it is that you have. So just declaring it when it's in our power to fulfill it is useless. Now if it's not within your power, then you need to do some declaring. Maybe get there with them and help them along those, those ways. But if you make a declaration for something that's in your power to do, it's useless. This is this supposes that someone else will take care of the need. Well, I'm sure somebody else will come along. Well, you weren't that somebody else. You ought to be that somebody else. So also is merely proclaiming. I put this in your outline. So also is merely proclaiming salvation without any outward proof. Just because I declare that I am saved, but I have out no outward proof. God saying, God saying in the words of Jesus and here in the words of, of James. Just because you say it outwardly does not mean there's anything to it. We got a lot of people in this country, the news media will publicize them. They're, they're okay to be, be made known that they're Christians, that they're Catholic, that they're of a certain denomination. As long as they don't go against what the news media feels is um, good behavior, good beliefs. As long as they don't go against that, they can declare whatever they want to and they'll actually be... be uh, promoted by the media but you get up there and you stand for what the word of God says that won't be the the same thing well we need to get out there and not only proclaim but we got to stand by it we got to do some things with it so let's um, read that again if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them depart in peace be warm and fill but do you do not give them the things which are needed for the body what does it profit Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, we're going to look at that word here, dead, in just a little bit. We'll let that go for right now. But in verse 18, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So again, he's using this word dead here. Faith without works is dead. So he's using an example. You show me your faith by your works. You show me your faith by your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. Now James rejects the attempt to separate faith and works and challenges the reader here to provide an example of what they suppose to be true. They're supposing that I have faith even though I don't have works to show for it. Now, James is going to get into some examples here. He's going to tell you some examples. And he's going to say, here's some examples of faith with works. Now, you give me some examples of faith without it. (laughs) Of course, they don't. There aren't any examples in the Word of people who had faith and didn't have something to show for it. That's something that we need to have. So can you have faith without works? And that answer is yes. You can have faith without works. Look at the lives of Peter. Didn't Peter at times have faith, but didn't have the works to show for it? Didn't the woman with the issue of blood have faith, but didn't have the works to show for it? And even Moses, he said he had faith at times, but didn't have the works to show for it. But until you had the, until you actually had something to show for it, that faith could not be demonstrated. Peter could say, I have faith. And believe that he did. But when certain things came up against him, he backed off. That faith disappeared. That faith had no, no substance to it. But he eventually got it to where that it would go right. And, and people could see his faith. Moses too was the same way. His faith was a, little here and there in the beginning. But then he got pretty strong. And he was doing alright. The woman with the issue of blood, she had faith to believe. But until she was able to put that faith 
in action touched the hem of his garment, there was nothing to show for it. So you could say, did the woman of, who, who had the issue of blood, did she have faith? And you could question it. Well, I'm not sure. She's still with the condition. Maybe she has faith. Maybe she doesn't. But once she touched the hem of his garment and had the, the uh, healing come in, now you've got proof. You can have faith without works, but there's going to come a time when that faith that is in you needs to come out. And this, of course, came out in chapter 1 where he talked about tests and trials. Those tests and trials will come out and they will try and test that faith, try and make that faith either disappear or become visible. One or the other. Now, I've had discussions with people, you know, over the years, pastoring the church here, even at times doing things other places. I've had discussion with people who believe something different from something that I taught. And they'll come and they'll question it and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll take me to task, so to speak, on, on the thing. But you see, one of the things I'll do whenever I'm teaching, and I've done this for decades, and you can go back and you'll, you'll check out anything we do, but this is just the pattern that, that we'll do. I'll show it to you where it is taught in scripture. I'll show you where it's taught multiple places in scripture, and then I'll show you people who did it. Because faith will have demonstration. It will have a demonstration. So I'll, we'll show you people will do that. I'll still have people who will come. And, well, I don't feel. Or I don't believe. Well, I don't think God would actually. And they'll have all these uh, different things that they say. But they have no examples for it. People will say this. Well, I don't think that God will do. I think that God can be on this. I think God can do this. Oh, show me an example in Scripture. I still to this day, I'll have people, I'll take people through it carefully. And especially when we're doing some of those more current event things. Over the, the decades we've been here, we've always got some kind of controversial current event things. And so usually what I'll do is I'll tell you, this is what the Bible says about that particular thing. This is where it was done in Scripture. And this is how God did it. This is how God handled it. This is how God came, came about it with the thing. And still I'll have people come and they'll challenge it. They have absolutely nothing in Scripture. They don't challenge me on, well, this is what the Word teaches here. They don't challenge me on, this is an example over here. And so, now it used to bother me. But it doesn't bother me anymore. It's just like, well, alright, go ahead. <laughs> Whatever you're going to do is what you're going to do. Because once again, as I, I've told you a few times, it's not my role to convince everybody. It's my role to present it. It's my role to to uh, to help people that are truly struggling to understand it. And so for some of those, you know, you defend the faith. And you show, this is what the Word says here. Well, okay, let's go over some more examples of those examples and help you. Here's some more over here. But there, there are some folks, they just don't want to hear it. They want to do what they, or they want to believe, they want to hold on to what it is that they've always uh, came along. Keith uh, Keith Moore one time, he was telling this this story about this, this lady. Um, he was quoting Scripture to her. And so the the lady came out and said, yeah, but the song says. <laughs> and he said, the what? <laughs> the song says. He said, well, I'm quoting Scripture to you. You're quoting a song. <laughs> Some song they sang in church and it said something about, I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> they quote the movie? Oh, you mean a Bible movie? Oh, I haven't heard that one. They quoted the Ten Commandment movie. <laughs> so you quote the scripture, and they're quoting the Ten Commandment movie. Are all the cones out there ours? Absolutely. Yeah, we can bring them in. The, uh, but this is what they'll do. You know, we'll still have it today. I've had people that you would consider to be fairly good Christians come up and argue something and st- try and stand on something, they have no doctrine, they have no teaching on it from the Word, and there's no example in the Scripture. But I'll show them example after example. I don't know if you all remember it a, a while back. This is this is going back quite a few years. But one of the things I took a, a bit of abuse for was when, uh, and, uh, when we taught about the spirit of Antichrist. That's, sometimes that's new for people. Especially when you try and show the spirit of Antichrist in political leaders of today. Because that's there. And I'll show them this is how the, the, the spirit of Antichrist acted in 
the Old Testament. This is how the spirit of Antichrist acted in the New Testament. This is what the Bible teaches about the spirit of Antichrist. This is what the Bible says it will do. Here it is today. And they'll say, no. <laughs> but they have no examples of anything else. So um, people will do this. They were doing it in James' day. James is basically there at them. Give me an example. Show me somebody who's got faith without works. Now, see, you can have that faith. It can be building, building up. But there comes a testing time, as he was writing about in chapter 1. Their faith came under test. When it came under test, it needs to rise up. If it doesn't rise up, then was their faith there? Or was it something that just looked like faith? Did we just proclaim something with our mouth? So there's going to be a lot of things in our life as we are developing, as we're going along. We are proclaiming with our mouth because I always ought to be reaching. I always ought to be going for something more out there. And so with my mouth, I am going to make some proclamations that may not, are, may not be true yet. But I'm making some proclamations, but I'm building that faith. I'm seeing this thing off from the horizon. I'm making the proclamation, but the day will come when that faith will be tested. And what will you do? See, our faith ought to always be be growing. It ought to always be challenged. I ought to get up to this level. And then now I'm ready to get challenged up to this level. And then and then keep moving up, keep moving up, and not stay where we're at all the time. we got to keep on growing. The Word of God is here for us to be be tested. Now, this uh, faith without works is dead is not contrary to Paul's teaching. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, you may already have this, this scripture memorized. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's a purpose for which you were created. It wasn't just to have all this faith built up inside without actually doing anything with it. You were supposed to get out there and do something. Now here in verse verse uh, 19, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Boy, we quoted that verse a few times, haven't we? He says here, it's good that you believe that there's only one God. Understand the demons also believe there's only one God. I even tremble at the name of that God. But you're doing well to do it. That's a, that's a good thing. But that's not all that you need to do. You're doing well, but there's still more that you have to get out there and to, and to do in order for that faith of yours to have benefit or to profit in your life. Now, can you have works without without faith? Yes, we can. There can be faith in there, but there's another aspect of this I want you to see too. There can be faith. It's building and it's going to be tested. And when that faith is tested, that faith will show itself to be true or that faith will show itself to be false. But here's another aspect of this. Can you have faith without works? Yes, works of the flesh. If you have faith, or if you have, I'm sorry, you can have works without faith. If you have works that have no faith to them, you have done works of the flesh. There's no belief to it. You can sow uh, finances, you can give tithes, and be doing that as a work of the flesh, or you can be doing it as a work of the Spirit. If you're doing it for man's recognition, if you're doing it for the, the wrong reasons, then it's, it's going to be a work of the flesh. So you can have works without faith, just as you can have faith without works. So yes, you can have works of the flesh. And, um, but there, it would be a no for works of faith. They're, they're not going to be works of faith. They're going to be works of the flesh. Now, the word here, vain, let's take a look at that. The, um, nope, not back far enough. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But you, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Let's go on to the, to the next. I don't even think that I put it in there. Can you pull up verse uh, 20 for me? But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is 
Is there go to twenty one? There it is, I found it. <laughs> Was not Abraham our father justified by our works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? So he's going back here. We're going to use, we're going to use Abraham as an example. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? So he took Isaac up, put him on the altar. He was going to sacrifice him. Now this Isaac, this is the one through whom the promise was coming. Remember, he had to believe by faith that God was going to accomplish something when he had no offspring. The thing he was going to accomplish, your offspring will be multiplied. Your offspring will be greater than the sand on the, on the shore, than the stars in the sky, all that sort of stuff. So do you see that that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect. Faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect. Now Abraham... He had to be developing this faith. This faith had to come out here at this sacrifice. That faith had no opportunity to be visible until the day that he took that his son up to the altar. This is where that test and that trial came and that faith would become visible. He had it, but if he comes up short in that, then he can't ever say that I even had it because he came up short. That's why... It's so important that we go through tests and trials and become successful and don't just let it go by the wayside. We gotta, uh, we gotta keep on going. I saw a quote. This is one one of my writing sites. I wasn't thinking about this. I would have probably would have written it down. But uh, how many of y'all know Hussein Bolt? I mean, what a fantastic name for a runner. I mean, you just—I don't know if he went out there and just created the name, but you cannot have a better name for a sprinter than him. And he had—he made a statement. And I forget the whole thing. Again, I wasn't thinking about it until now. But I think he said he trained for for something like four or five years to run for nine seconds. Oh, that's perspective. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is something else. Everything that he did was going to be judged in that nine seconds. At that time, him, him going on down. And it's, it's judged by fractions of a second. You can be a tenth of a second slower and lose the race. These things are measured by photo finishes. Now, I think he was winning by enough that he probably wasn't quite photo finished. He was, he was fast. <laughs> Man, he was fast. But he trained for a long time for that nine second, eight second, whatever it was, race. He's, he's training for that. This is what we're here for. We're training for some nine-second races that are down the road for us. And when that comes up, we need to, we need to show up. You see, you, Hussein, Hussein Bolt, he could say, boy, I've trained and I've trained and I've trained. I haven't trained any harder. He gets up there and runs the race and finishes last. What do people say? Not training didn't do you no good. And we, and we forget about him. <laughs> but he won the race. And he did good. So we, we don't forget about him. There was other people that were training. They've been trying to do this for a while. Uh, not everybody would even follow this, but they were trying, been trying for a long time to break the, the two hour barrier for the marathon. And so, um, this, this one guy, he had it in his, his, uh, he's gonna do it. And he teamed up with Nike and they got these special shoes and they put them in these special shoes, but they actually had a pace car for them and he had to be hitting this thing so fast per mile. And so he's, uh, he's running and keeping up. And I think he did just get under it. I don't think they liked it a whole lot because I said the shoes helped him out too much. <laughs> There's a little more spring action in those shoes. Um, you pay a pretty, pretty penny for those shoes. I think it's about $300 a pair for those shoes and they only go for, uh, less than 100 miles. They don't go very far. Uh, but if he, I don't know if it actually stuck, if they decided to let it stick, but he, he did finish a few seconds underneath the, the two hour time, but that two hour barrier stood up for a long, long time. That has been there. People have been whittling away, but no one's ever quite gotten past it until then. But you see, this is what you're working to. Abraham was working towards this. God was building up his faith all through the time of believing for his son to be born. 
all through that time, he is training up his faith because he knows, I need you to be ready because we got this test coming up here, this little nine second period of time in your life and you got to be ready for it because everything comes down to that and your faith needs to be visible. And it was. Glory to God. So do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect. Faith was made if he had not come through, we wouldn't be talking about Abraham's faith. We wouldn't be setting Abraham up as the the example that we need to reach because he came up short. We don't look for for people that came up short. We don't always remember who came in the race second or third. We remember who came in the race first. You know, for all the all the time we looked at the the Super Bowl here in Philadelphia, we finally did have that year we won one. But how many of you were thinking, as the game was going on, that that fantastic play that they did at the goal line, that uh, even the announcer said this could be the play of the game, and it was a great play. <laughs> the Philly special, I guess they call it, Philly Philly, whatever it is they, they decided to finally land on. But if they don't win the game, what happens to that play? <laughs> it just becomes another play. But because they won the game, it elevated that play to a certain status and it became something it's the same thing with our faith when we let our faith have that that perfect work when it has that materialization when it comes time that it's tested and the world can see it it needs to come through we cannot just make a declaration well I declare that Isaac is dead well that's not going to (laughs) work we have to actually go through and, and do this thing So verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. A man is justified by works. So Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness because of that faith. When it came time to be tested, Abraham showed himself to be true. So Abraham is used as one example. But you see, well, let's go on verse, uh, let's go over here to Romans and take a look at how Paul was using Abraham in his examples. Romans chapter 3 verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. He's not talking about the works of faith. He's talking about works trying to live up to the law to attain what faith would do. And that's why the two are not in in, con, in, in conflict with each other. They're going along the same things. Verse 29, Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then not, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So faith in God believes that faith, has faith that what God says is good and we fulfill the law because of our faith in God. We don't discount the law. But if I try and attain to what faith is supposed to do through the works of the law, I will fail, is what, what he is saying. And of course, James is not in that, that uh, vein at all. Verse 1 of chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham our father was found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. If you worked for the salvation, it would be a debt. It wouldn't be a grace gift. But it is a grace gift because by faith I believe for it. And so then I receive something that I did not earn, I did not establish. If it was done through the works of the law, it would be given to me as a wage. But it's not. This is the argument that Paul is presenting. This is a different argument than James is presenting. In verse 19 of chapter 4, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a 100 years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. 
and being fully convinced that he had promised, he was also able to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. So, again, we hear some of the same same things, but some of that comes right out of Scripture. So when Abraham was willing to offer up to God the only means by which the promise could be fulfilled. And it is not that, well, God can just give him another child. God said through Isaac, through this one. So this means, this is the only means by which the promise could be fulfilled. So this truth is seen by him acting on faith that he had. He had faith and he acted upon it. Now, for God, he even seemed to wait for it to be demonstrated, didn't he? I mean, why didn't God just, just say, well, all right, you're, you brought Isaac up here. We got up to the mountain. Why not just stop then? He lets them tie him up. He lets him put him on the altar. He lets him raise the knife. Why? God is looking for the demonstration of that faith. The same kind of demonstration that James is talking about. Because the devil could say from that point on, that faith was dead. That faith was not the kind of faith that was needed. But God took it all the way up to the point where the knife is up there. And he said, all right, you can stop now. I don't know how he stopped them. That's one of those things we'll have to go back to the videotape when we get to heaven. And check it out. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Is that not exactly what James is saying? We need to do what our faith is declaring. Faith without works is dead. So Paul and James actually argue exactly the same thing. And it's not as uh, not the conflict that we see. Paul looks at Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. James looks at Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. There's different perspectives there. When Paul used the term works, he refers to people people's attempts to keep the law. That's what he's looking at. Their works is their attempts to keep the law. And that's that's what he's saying. That's not going to be any good. That's not going to be helpful for you. When James uses it, he refers to people showing the love of God in them. When he talks about works, he's talking about them demonstrating the love of God that is on the inside. You can't just declare kind things over this person. You need to let the love of God carry you to do those things. If you have the means to be able to do it, you should step forth and begin begin to do it. So I'll give that part to you again just to make sure you got it. When Paul used the term works, he referred to people's attempts to keep the law. When James uses it, it refers to people showing the love of God in them. Now, Abraham was was not perfected in his outward expression of his faith when he began. Abraham was not perfected in his outward expression of his faith when he began. He was a project. He was a faith project. God says, go to this land. He goes to the last land, finds it in a famine, he leaves. He goes down to, to Egypt. They say, we like your wife. He says, she's my sister. And uh, he wouldn't stand up for fearing of his life. That's not a faith man. But God took on the faith project and developed him so that when it came time, he was the man of faith he needed to be. Verse 25, Likewise, was not Rahab the hearted also justified by works when she received the messengers? Now, why in the world go to Rahab after we go into Rahab? It's Abraham. Simply for this. Abraham, for some, may seem to be some something too great to attain to. I can't get to Abraham's. Abraham, he is like the father of the faith. I mean, he is he's just, wow. I mean, Abraham. And he's the example of faith in the whole Word of God. How in the world can I be like like Abraham? And so then he goes over here and he gets Rahab. Now, as much as a Abraham is good, Rahab is bad. <laughs> so if you can't live up to Abraham and what you have envisioned, maybe you can live up to Rahab. <laughs> and so he's basically telling his readers, can you live up to be a Rahab? 
If you can't live up to be an Abraham, if you don't see yourself as being an Abraham, if you don't see yourself as that righteous, that full of faith, that whatever, well, maybe Rahab is, uh, that's a bar that you can attain to. So he brings her up. So we're going way up here and way down over here. And you can be somewhere in the middle, but you're going to be able to do it. Likewise, was not Rahab the hearted also justified by works when she received the messengers? Now, the only one whose faith preserved them in the whole city was Rahab. Now, is Rahab the only one in the city who had faith? Probably not. I would probably agree with that. She, though, is the only one who had opportunity to put that faith to work. It doesn't matter if anyone else had the same faith that Rahab did. They did not have the opportunity to put it to work. Rahab did. When we get back and watch the videotape, I wonder how many houses the spies went to. Did they just get guided by the Spirit to Rahab? And that was it? Probably. I, would, I kind of think it was along those lines. But was the, would there have been another opportunity for someone else and they turned it down? The only one that that faith worked for and preserved them was Rahab. And it's not because her lifestyle was so great. It's not because that she did great things for God. It's simply because she had an opportunity to take the faith that was in her and put it to work. And she hid the spies. That's the only difference. And out of that, she and her household were saved because she took, in the Old Testament, not just new, in the Old Testament, she took her faith and put it to work. When it comes time and the spies come knocking on my door and it's time for my faith to get put to the test, will I put it to work? Will I generate some things? That's what needs to, to happen. This is what he's telling them. Now remember, in chapter 1, he's talking to them, you guys are under test, you're under trials. Things are coming against your faith. This is the opportunity. Your faith needs to materialize and to show something. Don't just say, well, I just kind of tuck it in. No, this is your opportunity to shine. And we all have opportunities to shine as well. There is pressure on us to conform. There's pressure on us to be like what the world wants us to be like. There's pressure on us to accept certain things as social norms. Even though the Word of God says something different. Are you going to stand on what you know the Word of God to say? Or are you going to back down and go after something else? So this is the kind of thing he's writing for. This is, this is the, the things that we face. They face different things. These are the things we face. When your faith becomes tested... Will your faith produce works? Or will your faith just evaporate? If others had similar faith to hers, they didn't act on it. They didn't jump on the opportunity, but she did. In verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Faith is dead when nothing is done. This word here, dead, is a word that is used to describe a body that was once alive but died. What this word has in mind here, what this word pictures, is it is something that was alive and is now dead something that was alive but is now dead I put in some other aspects that maybe dead faith might be and these are certainly things that faith can become undeveloped faith there are people that have undeveloped faith they ignored and never developed it I think this kind of goes along with the parable and the sower. This would be soil number one. Faith dropped down inside them. They just didn't develop. They didn't do anything with it. And eventually the birds came and took it away. 
Undeveloped faith. Undeveloped faith is not what he's talking about here. He's talking about faith that was once alive and is now dead. So undeveloped faith is not there. Undeveloped faith happens. But if you had undeveloped faith, when the test of trial came, there was never any question as to what was going to happen. You were going to fail. Just like uh, going back to the, to the runner example. If you were training to race with Hussein Bolt, and every time that the opportunity came to train, you sat on the couch and watched TV and ate, ate uh, chips and dip. And then get out there and train. And, and so when you got out there and went to run and you failed miserably, no one's surprised. They're saying, I don't even know why he's in there. He didn't train nothing. He didn't do a thing. No one expected you to do it. It was undeveloped. Here's the next one. Ineffective faith. Ineffective faith never rise, rises to a challenge and seldom sees results. There's some faith there, but when the challenge comes, it never rises to the challenge. He just kind of wants to have faith for all those little things that come along. I liken this with soil number two, the stony places. Never got any root developed. Never was able to, to handle any scorching sun. Things would come in. Ineffective faith. There was some development there. There was some growth that, that occurred. But basically, it's ineffective. It's just whatever has been developed, it's not enough to get it done. Here's the third one I gave you. Inconsistent faith. Inconsistent faith. Sometimes it wins. Sometimes it loses. You just never know. Just like uh, somebody would get out there on the basketball court playing on a basketball team. Sometimes their shot hits. Sometimes their shot doesn't. And you just don't know. You'll hear announcers, they'll, they'll talk about it and they'll say, well, it depends on which, use his name, her name. It depends on which person shows up for this game. Is it the one that hits everything? Or is it one who misses? And it seems like, you know, some players, they just have that ability to come on into a game and sometimes they're hitting and sometimes they're missing. And when they miss, they miss them all. And when they hit, it seems like they hit them all. person who has inconsistent faith, they quit the workout when the trial gets too hard. Well, I'll come out here and, you know, I'll, I'll do some shots, but, oh, my arm hurts today. I don't think I'm going to do the shots today. Oh, well, I'm just not really feeling it today. See, if you're inconsistent in the practice, you'll be inconsistent in the game. The people who got real good at the, the game of basketball are the people who would stay after practice and shoot foul shots and shoot three-point shots or shoot whatever shots. They just sit there and they would just shoot them, shoot them, shoot them, shoot them. You look at some of the people that were real good shooters and after practice, what do you see them doing? Shooting some more, shooting some more. Every time after practice, every time before practice, they're getting there and they're shooting and they're shooting and they're shooting because they want to they want to get even better they want to rise up to that challenge if you have inconsistent faith it's because when the challenge comes up you're not rising to it you're not going to go after it i saw um, i don't know how this came up but i was watching one one of those videos for youtube i think it was brother hagen or something like that and somehow the you know how you get that next video that comes up and it was uh uh some kind of a video clip. I think the movie was Coach Carter. Isn't that the name of a movie? Is there, there, it was about a, a coach named Carter. And it was, in my mind, I'm thinking, isn't there a movie out there called Coach Carter? And so I, there's about 10 minutes of that. Usually that's a longer clip. But it was about 10 minutes of this. And it was phenomenal. It was uh, just just really good. You saw this guy get into their lives and, and uh, they, were, they were a losing team. I think that he said they only won four games in the previous year. And so he instilled some things and uh, to make them do some stuff, requiring them to be at practice, requiring certain things at practice. He was going to make them run some more because they were out of shape. They, they, weren't, uh, they weren't outlasting. And apparently before the, he even started taking over, 
the two best shooters walked off the court from the year before. Two best shooters walked off the court and the other ones looked around and they said, those were our two best shooters. And he just looked at them and says, and I guess we'll have two new ones this year. <laughs> I thought, that's a good statement right there. I like that one. Let's get somebody else to, to rise up to it. But you see, he pushed them through it. He made them do all these things. He made them go and go and go. There's a whole lot more. It was in that little 10 minute clip. I won't bore you with all, all of it. But what, you, what he was doing was, you, you gotta rise up. You, we gotta get you to that place. And so he would make them run. He would make them do push-ups. He would make them do things till they hurt, till they were, they got ill almost at times. Because he was gonna develop something in them. We have to have that determination on the inside of us. I will push myself. I will develop. When these little things come up, I will get myself ready so that when the big one comes, I have something that materializes. I have works to go along with the faith that I've got. Inconsistent faith is not something that we should have, but it plagues a lot of Christians because we are not going through the training. When the trials and the tests come, I'm not letting them have their perfect work, as James talked about. Another one I gave you was insincere faith. Faith that's not genuine. This is people that kind of just, they just do it for show. I show up for church. I say the right confession. I give a good outward appearance with the people that are around me. I want them to see something. But when I'm alone, that's when the genuine me comes out. And you, you watch out because pretty soon that genuine you is going to come out in front of other people. And you won't be able to keep it down there because what you have isn't genuine. It's insincere. Folks, this won't do anything for you. Well, that's not dead faith either because insincere faith was never alive. What he's talking about, dead faith, this is the faith that was alive. This is the faith that was growing. And then suddenly, it is now dead. In order for someone to become dead who was alive, there's some events that have to happen. Either they have to meet with some kind of disease, some kind of physical harm, some kind of accident. Something had come along to take their life away. They were alive and now they're not. That's what dead faith is. So when he's talking about faith that is dead without works, this is a faith that was showing signs of life. And then when it came to the point of being tested, it didn't show up. And when a lot of times what happens when people get to this point of testing and they don't rise to the occasion and that faith just kind of went away, a lot of times those people don't recover. They walk away. They blame God. They blame church people. They blame all kinds of other things. But their faith has become dead. And James, as the pastor of this church, and his people being dispersed all over, he is concerned that their faith does not also become dead. He doesn't want something to occur in their life to bring them to a point of death. He wants them to continue to go on and to have life. So just know this. The tests and trials are going to come. They will be around. And when they come, when I fail, it has the potential to kill me and cause my faith to be dead. doesn't have to. Peter faced a point where his faith didn't materialize, but he came back from it. Abraham had some points where his faith didn't materialize, but he came back from it. But you can also lay, lay out some people they didn't have that. Jeroboam was a person who when his faith was tested, he failed and he didn't come back. Saul was a person whose faith was tested and when he failed, he didn't come back. Judas was a person whose faith was tested and when he failed, he didn't come back. You can put people, keep on going and put people on one side or put people on the other. But don't be on the side of the people who don't come back. There have been times, that there may be times that we have faith failures. And we are being prepared for that nine second race. Or whatever the test is. We've been training and training and training. And something happened to us. 
and we didn't quite have the materialization of the of the faith victory and the devil just comes down upon you you are a failure as a Christian God is tired of you God is done with you and he wants you to just move on and go you had a faith that was growing but now it's a faith that is dead glory to God we serve a God who resurrects the dead and even that faith can be resurrected In the, I didn't give you this reference. I'm just going to read this here for you. Well-known scripture, Matthew 13:22. Now he who receives seed by, among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. He becomes unfruitful. Doesn't that paint a similar picture to having a faith that was alive that became dead? It was doing something and then it came to the point of producing fruit and it got choked out. And it didn't quite get there. Dead faith can happen. And the enemy is trying to kill it. That's his role, to kill, steal, and destroy If you have live, abounding faith, he is going to do whatever he can to try and kill it. You can probably think of some people, some examples that you've seen in your own life. I've seen people, they were thriving, they were growing, they were doing well, and then all of a sudden, they got out of fellowship with people. They got out of pursuing the word of faith. And they just want to pursue something else. Well, is it really important that I believe God for healing? Heaven, if I just get sick. They may not reason it out that way to themselves, but I've, I've seen people. Boy, they were on fire for God, going after the devil every corner they could, believing God for things, had some kind of a faith failure, and now all of a sudden, they got away from them. Well, I don't think God does that. I know I used to believe, but... uh no, I don't see that going on anymore. I don't see that God does that. And everything about them is just dried up. Boy, they used to be abounding with life. Now you talk with them and it's, it's not there. The enemy has these points ahead for you. He has these points where he is planned out to try and have your faith fail and to have your faith become dead. It's not talking about insincere, undeveloped, all those other things. We're talking about a thriving faith that is growing to the point of having fruit for something. And he stops that fruit from happening and causes you to die in the process. And this is the kind of faith that James is talking about. You all were here in the city of Jerusalem. You were coming to the synagogue. You were coming to the church. You were growing. You were developing. You were meeting the things that would come your way and you are having victory. And then things happened and you got pushed away from the fellowship here. You're not finding the fellowship where you're at. You're not finding the same word that you were getting when you were here. And you can start getting weaker and weaker and that trial comes up, that test comes up. And we begin to think, why wasn't God here to help me? And things can begin to set in and weeds begin to be planted and find food and grow. And what was once abundantly growing seeds of faith is now overtaken with thorns and thistles and things that yield no fruit in your life at all. So he's saying, be aware. This is out there. Don't look at things and say, well, I have a thriving faith right now. That means I am in good shape. No, you need to be careful. Because people who have dead faith had at one time a living, breathing, functioning faith. that something happened. And he does not want this to go on for them. He wants them to continue to grow and to develop. Father, we thank you for the way that you preserve us and help us in all the things that we face. The enemy desires to take us down. 
to take that faith that is growing on the inside of us and to hit us with depression, with thoughts of failure, thoughts of isolation, thoughts of this isn't doing me any good, thoughts of God, this is just disappointed in me, whatever it might be that He can throw our way to get us discouraged and to get the faith that is in us that is living and breathing and growing and to get it to die. Because that faith will overcome Him if we walk by it and if we live by it. Father, You want to help us to keep that faith alive, keep that faith growing. So we listen to Your Word and we listen to Your Spirit and we keep on doing the things that we need to do. We thank You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen. I didn't make the note here before. I wasn't sure if I, I I fixed this last week or not. But two weeks ago we were talking about that test to go through to see where your faith was at. Whether your faith was was the, the good stuff. Remember remember the uh, how you can do the self-test? Remember the self-test part? And the one thing I did leave out on it, I know then I, I made a, a mental note. I don't know if I came back and did it uh, last week or not. But you cannot do the things that you need to do to have the right attitude. The, um, I'm trying to think how we, how we laid it on out there. You will not have the right attitude through your trial like with joy and with peace outside of the Spirit of God. If the devil just wants you to say, you are enduring this trial through your flesh. But you're not where God wants you to be. Don't listen to him. Because if you maintain the joy of the Spirit, if you maintain the peace, you can only maintain that in the realm of the Spirit. If you got into the realm of the flesh, you would know it. Your joy would be down. Your peace would be down. Brother, uh, Brother Keith Moore is always talking about uh, relating... The Christian walked to flying. Have you ever heard him do that? And he talks about the gauges. And the two gauges he said are the most important in your faith is your joy gauge and your peace gauge. Because you cannot maintain the joy level in tests and trials if you are going through that test and trial in the flesh. And you cannot maintain that level of peace if you are going through that test and trial in the flesh. But in the spirit, you can. That's part of the self-test that I had left off when we were doing that before. So I wasn't sure if I had covered that with you last week or not, but I just want to make sure before we got too far away from it. Any comments, questions? Anything I missed? Anything you all want to add? Brother Les. I did miss some stuff? Here, I thought I was being real careful. Oh, I didn't get your application part. Yes, I did actually say them, but probably not exactly the way that it was there. Look at the lives of Peter and, and Moses. Those are the two. Probably didn't quite read it the way it was there. But Peter was one who had, had faith without works, and then he also had faith with works. Uh, my six is different from yours. Uh, the, faith, the faith spoken of here had to be at one time been alive. <laughs> yep, I, I was looking and said, well, I'm not quite ready to get into that yet. I'll come back to it. I didn't come back to it. We may, be, we may not outwardly demonstrate our faith perfectly when we begin, but we grow into it. Abraham did not outwardly demonstrate his faith perfectly when he began but he grew into it just because you are not perfect in the demonstration of your faith now does not mean you will not get there don't let the devil condemn you sure we may not outwardly demonstrate our faith perfectly when we begin but we grow into it 
All right. Brother Les with a question. All right. Um, I wanted to uh, explain the difference here, the, um, the similarities and contrasts. Uh, Matthew 5, uh, 14 through the 16th verse, say, You are the light of the world, and a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light into the whole house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your God, your Father, which is in heaven. Then in the sixth chapter, the uh, second verse said, Therefore, when you do your arms, do not sound the trumpet before men, before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they, that they may... Uh, that they may have glory of men. Verily I said to you, they have their reward. But when you do your alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That thy alms may be in secret, and your father will seize the secret himself will reward you openly. Now, the difference between alms and works. Oh, okay, now I'm on the I see where you're going with it. Um... Well, yeah, he, I, I think he's assuming that anyway. Um, why does that one have to be kept secret? Yes. The idea, the idea with uh, with that, people have got into a lot of bondage with it. They're thinking that if I give at all and anybody finds out about it, I lose the reward. And that's not what that verse is teaching. What that verse is teaching is if I do it for other people to see, I will lose the reward. But if I do it and people see it, that's not a big deal. If the motivation is, I'm giving this. See everybody, look, see how much I'm doing, and then and let everybody see. You got your reward. So I'm more of your personal uh, uh, generosity toward God. Yeah, um, your tithing. It's it's more the motivation if. Jesus, his good works were demonstrated in front of people. And those good works were healing, casting out devils, teaching. These are all good works. They're done through faith. They were good, but they had to be done outwardly to to really have any effect at all. Um, And I'm sure that there was a a lot of giving that they were doing. Because Judas was always going out and giving to the poor. Because that's what they assumed was was going on when he when he left the uh, the supper. There are certain things that if uh, well, I'll put it to you this way: if I go out and lay hands on somebody for healing, more than likely I'm not doing that to bring glory to myself, but I can. But more than likely, it's not going to go that way. If I'm going out there and doing things for for monetary. More than likely, if I'm doing it openly, it's because I want people to see it. So there's a money changes things on that one, and I want people to see what I've done with my with my money. Um, there were times that Jesus did pull people aside and healed them. Now, don't tell anybody. We looked at at least one or two of those on Sunday. Um, so it, it's more the motivation, because if you look at in the book of Acts, when Barnabas sold the plot of land and gave it, it was known. In fact, it was so well known that a couple of people decided to copy it, or at least make an appearance that it was that it was copied. Um, I don't see that he lost his reward for that. I don't know that he he didn't necessarily do it for that purpose, but apparently, however it was that was done, it became known. I don't know. Does that help with that question, or have I not quite gotten there yet? This arm is not the same as works. It is works, but it's not. It's a personal. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it it can bring it can be done more so to bring glory to me. And if you ever go out and lay hands on people to get them healed to bring glory to you, that is not a good end result either. So the glory has to always go to the the Father. Pretty much on the in the arm side, 
if I ever do something with the intention in a, in a public display, it's really just to get some glory from me. Whereas, it's not the same thing with healing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rahab, uh, verse 25 says, uh, Rahab was justified by works when she received the messengers. Um, did she have faith at that time? Had to. She would not have stood up to hide them if she didn't have faith because she knew these people are bringing folks in that are going to destroy our city. She had to believe that they were going to. The rest of the people thought their wall would hold them out. Um, and so... So did she have one she, before the other or she had them? She had the faith first because you remember that her words... Yep. We, we know of your God. We know what He's done. We've been in fear about this. So... Yeah, she had faith. And so my estimation of this, when I put myself in Rahab's position and kind of just live her life trying to figure this out, I'm thinking that when she hears that inside of her, she's thinking, God, I I want a way to be spared. Show me a way to be spared. And maybe it is that God speaks to her spirit and tells her to look out for these guys. Because if you are spies in a foreign city, I mean, what what causes you to reveal yourself to anyone? And quite frankly, I wouldn't go in the city to hide. I'd go out, hide in a cave or somewhere in the field. I would not go in the city to hide. I'm not sure what was going on unless, you know, God said, go in there, I got somebody for you. Um, but... Yeah. Yep. Now imagine the conversation she has with the neighbors. Because she brings in the neighbors' conversations in her discussion. We have. So there's obviously other neighbors that feel the same way. If, if she is building this faith up on the inside of her, I think it bubbled out. Well, ladies, I'm believing that God is going to send a way for me to, to be spared. And some of the may, some of the other neighbors may have said, "Oh, I don't think that'll happen. I don't. I believe it will. I don't know what's going to happen, but I believe that it, that it will." And that left the door open because we're looking at some kind of ongoing building faith that happens inside of Rahab. And even though maybe her lifestyle didn't change, she still had this faith that was there. And when it came time for the testing, and they showed up, and she could be killed for, and that's what she's trying to avoid. But she could be killed by bringing them in. And she decided, I'm going to have more faith in your God supporting you than our God's supporting us. 